On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear in their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, "They're just drunk. That's all." Let's pray. God, that song we just sang, we need your presence here and you're more of you, God. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Those are powerful words and God, that's what we want. We want you to be present. We want your Holy Spirit to be welcome in this place. We're going to be looking at Acts 2 where your Holy Spirit makes quite an appearance in the world. And so God, I just pray you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what it is that your word really says, not what we think that we know or believe that we've heard, but what it is you really have for us. God, uh, thank you that you have given us the gift of your Holy Spirit to be present with us, to grow us in our faith and to uh, give us the courage to share the good news of Jesus with the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you got your Acts journals with you, let's take a look here. I think you're going to be on page 10. If you've got your Acts journal, it gives you a half of a page of notes to work with today. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. This is good stuff we're beginning today. Uh, you need to remember, Acts is a history book. Acts is a telling by a man named Luke of the Acts of the Apostles, but even more significantly, the Acts of the Holy Spirit at work in the early church. It is a book of history. It is not a book of stories. Uh, Last week, Ryan spoke, and Ryan, you're here, aren't you? Didn't I see you? Spoke and spoke well, I might add, young man. Thank you very much. Ryan did a great job talking in part about how the disciples knew that they needed to fill in that 12th spot that, that Judas had left behind. They needed a 12th disciple, and so they chose one, and, and they're ready to go and begin their, their ministry without the presence of Jesus among them. And what Acts 2 does is it shows us that God isn't going to send them out on their own any more than God is going to send us out on our own. And so the Holy Spirit appears on earth. But I need to give you a warning. We need to start with a warning on this one. This is one of those texts that I get so excited. I love talking about this one. I love speaking about this one. But here's the deal. If you don't believe in God, if you don't believe the Bible is true, and if if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus as your Savior, none of this today is going to make sense. It's all going to seem silly. It's going to sound like a fairy tale. It's going to seem like it's just nonsense to you because in the human, it doesn't make sense. But in the supernatural world that God lives in, that he invites us into, that's around us all the time, it makes all the sense in the world. If you know that God loves you, 
if you know God cares about you and that, that God is intimately involved in every aspect of your life, this passage is earth-changing, life-changing for you. If, if your desire is to live for God, if your desire is to live out your life doing whatever it is that God has put you on earth to do, this passage is going to help you understand how you can do that. But if you don't believe in God, if you don't believe in Jesus as your Savior, this is all going to sound kind of silly to you. And so I've talked in the past about uh, that Marvel movie idea. I really do, as we go through this one, play out these events in your mind as though you were there and ask yourself, how would you have responded? What would you have done? What would have been your reaction? Question mark is behind us up there. What the book of Acts does really well, Luke does a fabulous job of answering questions we didn't even know we were asking. And what you're going to hear today is an awful lot of what God has been doing throughout history leading up to this event and up to this passage in Acts that the people who were Jewish in his time uh, in Luke's time, understood completely differently than what we do today. And so there's questions we're going to deal with that we didn't even know that we were asking. And so let's begin. Acts 2, chapter, or verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Don't know for sure how many people. Uh, could have been a few dozen, could have up to been 120. It was a lot of disciples all together in one place. There was a bunch of people. We know there was a little over 100 believers at this time. So the church was still small. But they're all gathered in one place. Why were they gathered in one place? Well, it could have been a little bit because they were afraid of, of what was going on. Life had kind of become uncertain for them. But more than likely, the reason is they were all gathered in one place because Jesus had just told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. He told them to go to Jerusalem and wait. And he gave them a little bit of a glimpse, but didn't really give them a full idea of what was going on. And so they were being obedient. They were being obedient, they were waiting in Jerusalem, and what God was about to do was to bless their obedience in a way they couldn't even imagine. And you've heard me say over and over and over that blessing always follows obedience. When we are obedient to what God tells us to do, even if we don't like it, even if we don't understand it, that's when God's blessing can come our way. And we live in a world where we want blessing and we want goodness and we want reward, but we also want to do our own thing to get there. And in Scripture, it just doesn't work that way. Blessing always follows obedience. So when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. The day of Pentecost, uh, penta means 50th. And so it was the 50th day after the Passover. This was already a celebration for the people in Jerusalem. Remember now, Jesus originally came for the Jewish people, but the Jewish people, by and large, rejected him. And so there's a lot of folks that are still in Jerusalem that didn't necessarily live in the city who were there because the festival continued. And so they were celebrating a thing that was called the Day of First Fruits. It's in Numbers 28. So they, they were being religious. They were being observant in the city around them. Jesus had told those disciples to gather and to wait for something that was yet to come. And so what's interesting is, on the day of Pentecost, it's already a celebration for the Jewish people. It's the 50th day after Passover. God is taking something that is an Old Testament festival and tradition, and he's bringing it about in a very new way to use this Pentecost the way we understand it, the day the Holy Spirit arrived. And so in Numbers, they call this the day of first fruits. Well, what's the day of first fruits mean when you realize the Holy Spirit has come? Well, the first fruits of the church that Jesus came to plant. 
The beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, it it didn't end when he died. This is actually the beginning of the church. And so Pentecost is the beginning, the first fruits of what it is that was Jesus' earthly ministry. And so they would think about uh, first fruits as harvest. Right now, God's not thinking harvest in terms of crops. He's thinking harvest in terms of souls. It's the birth of the Christian church empowered by the Holy Spirit for all people. So Pentecost is significant in in a lot of ways. Uh, It's the birth of the Christian church. It's the day that we see the growing presence of God's Holy Spirit at work on earth. The Spirit of God has been at work for a long time throughout the history of Scripture. You go back into the book of Genesis, and it says that the Spirit of God hovered, right? The Holy Spirit was there. Uh, You go a little bit further forward, and and God speaks all of everything into creation, and then you've got God breathing the breath of life into Adam. And throughout the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is there in individual times and individual ways for individual people, but always present. There's Moses. God's Spirit came upon Moses. Uh, There's Samson. It says God's Spirit came upon Samson. There's other people throughout the Old Testament. There's a guy named Bezalel. And uh, unless you study him, you probably don't even know he's there. He's the guy that was called to build the Ark of the Covenant. And it says the Spirit of God came upon him and it gave him the ability to build the Ark of the Covenant, that specific task, that specific time. But Pentecost is the day we celebrate the power of God breaking into our world for all Christians all places, at all times, to share the good news of Jesus. This is a big day in the history of the church. Verse 2, it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. you got to imagine for a moment. Now, let's say the house was this big, and we were the number of people that were gathered. And it was about this loud. Because they didn't necessarily want to make a loud noise for outside. They didn't maybe want everybody to know they were there. And suddenly... The sound as of a mighty rushing wind filled the room, the house where they were sitting. You might have grown up in a Lutheran church or a Catholic church that celebrated the season of Epiphany. Maybe that's a familiar word to you. Well, this is another fancy word that's happening here. This is called a theophany. It's the appearance of God making his presence among people on earth. But what really happens is what we have to pay attention to. See, the announcement of the Holy Spirit was the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't say that it was a mighty rushing wind. It says it was like a mighty rushing wind. Here's why that's important. If we were all gathered and the sound like a mighty rushing wind suddenly filled this room and it's all that we could hear, the first thing you would notice is that there's all this loud noise, but the papers in your Bible aren't moving. Your hair, if you're so blessed to have hair, is still in place. Nothing is blowing around. But it's loud, the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the first thing you've got to ask yourself is, what in the world is going on? Well, wind is significant. You may remember the passage in the Old Testament where Elijah ran away to the mountains and he hid in a cave. And he was waiting for the presence of God and it said there was a loud rushing wind that passed by, but God wasn't in the wind. Wind is what God uses to get our attention. In Hebrew... The word for spirit is ruach. In the New Testament, it's pneuma. It's where we get pneumonia, breath, right? In the Old Testament with Adam, Adam didn't come alive until God breathed life into him. And the word for breath is ruach, spirit. And so the spirit brings life. Spirit is there all the time. There's there's a connection in the Old Testament to wind and the presence of God. 
It happens more than once. And here's why that's significant. Because like the wind, you can't see the Holy Spirit. You can't see him. You can look outside and you can see the effect of wind. You can see the result of wind, but you can't see the wind. You can see the leaves rustling. You can see a piece of paper blowing away, but you can't see the wind. Like with the Holy Spirit, you can see when there, there is a presence of the Holy Spirit, things change. People who are, who are spiritually in tune to God feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, but you can't see the Holy Spirit. And so wind, like the Holy Spirit, you can know the presence of God even when you can't see the presence of God. And so some people say, I'm not sure if I believe God's real because I've never seen him. You know what? You're just looking for the wrong thing. There's evidence of God all around you. Verse 3, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them again. Not fire, tongues as of fire. And so it wasn't like the fire came down and burned the tops of their head. It was that there was something that looked like the presence of fire throughout the Old Testament. God appears in fire. It's not an unusual. There's a number of examples throughout the Old Testament. What's really kind of cool about that is the angels that God chooses to use to guard uh, holy or very specific things, Ark of Covenant, uh, gates of the Garden of Eden, they're called seraphim. The angels have a specific name, seraphim. It comes from the root word in Hebrew, seraph. And seraph in Hebrew means fire. And so this word, this understanding, this presence of God through fire goes throughout Scripture. And so God is just being consistent with who God is when he shows up in the person of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 4, they were all filled, not a few of them, not the special ones, not the most holy. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is one of those things that's caused some trouble in the church. The Bible is very clear. Luke, or Peter uses the word a little bit later on in his message. He uses the word baptism. Luke is very clear that it's filled. And when you look at what he means by the word filled, it's immersed in the presence of. They were immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. When it says the Holy Spirit filled the room, it meant that the experience that they had is that they were completely surrounded by the presence of the Holy Spirit. They were filled to the fullness with the presence of God. There's not any mention of being baptized in the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. It's being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter uses it later, the word baptism. But today what they're talking about, what Luke is making sure we understand is they were immersed in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of you have felt that. You know what I'm talking about. Others think, man, I don't know if I want anything to do with that. What, what would you do? Well, that's part of what we've got to struggle with this text is what would you do? Because one of the things we know is the Holy Spirit is always a gentleman. He's not going to force his way in or push his way where you don't want him to be. And so we need to come to grips with how do we feel about God and how do we feel about the welcome presence of the Holy Spirit? It says, verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. People from all the world, as they understood it, had gathered in Jerusalem for the festival. Started with Passover. They had seen Jesus put to death. That was the news all over town. The, the rumors and the stories and the appearances of Jesus raised from the grave have begun uh, to scatter through the city, and people are talking about that. And now the Holy Spirit is there because there's no doubt that Jesus is alive. There's no doubt that he's risen. It's not a story. There's over 500 people that can speak to the fact. 
And at this sound, the multitude came together. What's the sound? The sound of that mighty rushing wind, right? And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own tongue. And so they're standing outside, the people are, and they're hearing the sound of this mighty rushing wind, and they're hearing all of these foreign languages coming out of this room where the disciples were. What in the world is going on? Who's given a lecture in there? How do you speak to all those people in all those different languages? God had gathered people from all over the area into Jerusalem for his purposes. They thought they were there for a festival. They thought they were there for Passover and, and for the, the festival of the first fruits. God had them there for a very different reason. People are bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were hearing the good news of salvation in Jesus in their own language. As we've worked with uh, Bible translators in Jesus' film, they talk about your, your mother tongue, your heart language. What's the language that you speak, that, that your mother spoke to you, that you learned as a child, the one that you understand without having to work through it? That's what they're talking about. Maybe some of these folks two, spoke two or three different languages. They all hear in the language that spoke to their heart. And what they're hearing is the good news of Jesus. And this is interesting. Because it's one of those examples of how the New Testament provides a bookend to something that happened in the Old Testament. Same, but different. And the book of Acts and this gathering, the day of Pentecost, is one of those things. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, it says this. It's the Tower of Babel. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And what happened? People got together and they said, let's build ourselves a huge tower. Let's build a big building and reach to the heavens. And by doing that, we can make a name for us. We'll be famous. And so they got together and it says that they, they formed bricks and they didn't bake them. The Bible says they burned them. I think that's interesting because guess what word is in Hebrew for burn the bricks? Seraph, right? They burned the bricks and they started building this tower. And it goes on in verse 7 and God says, come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they might not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. Come, let us go down. Who's he talking about? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity of God. The Spirit was there at Babel, scattering the people and confusing their language. Why? Because they wanted to make themselves famous. They didn't want to glorify God. People had all these different languages and they couldn't communicate. And that continued on and on and on until the day of Pentecost when God did something new. He gathered them all together. They were there for their reason, but God gave them the good news of Jesus in their own language, all at the same time. And what did they do when they left Jerusalem? They went home and they brought the good news of Jesus in their own language to the people they lived. Verse 7, it says, They were amazed and astonished, saying, are, all these who are, are, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? How is it we hear each one of us in his own native language? That's one of those phrases we've got to understand the culture. They weren't all Galileans. Some of the disciples were not from Galilee. Certainly a lot of the people gathered in the room were not from Galilee. Luke records that because what it is, it's a slur. It's a slam on the Galileans. They were the country bumpkins of the day. The people were going, basically saying, they're not smart enough to know any other languages. They're lucky they can communicate with each other. Galilee is the reason that's the, the area, the region that's to the north uh, through the Judean desert, the north of Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee. People in Jerusalem felt like they had the education. They were the smart ones. They were the ones that knew how the world worked. These Galileans couldn't pull that off on their own. So what would be your response? If you'd been there, if you had been in that crowd, if you had been in that room, what would have been your response? 
Would you have said, wow, God, I, I've just been waiting for you to show up and do something big. It's, it's really cool to see what you're doing. Or will you have been one of the doubters, one of the skeptics, one of the ones that just didn't believe it, even though you were there and saw it and heard it? Verse 9, it's going to, Luke does something that's interesting that, again, ties back to the Old Testament. Each one of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, and the world's getting bigger, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia in Egypt, parts of Libya, northern Egypt, belonging to Cyrene. There's a passage where Jesus is carrying his cross, and he gets too weak, and they grab a man from the crowd named Simon of Cyrene, who carried the cross. Here it is. Cyrene makes its appearance again. And visitors from Rome, the most non-Christian city in the area. Both Jews and proselytes, that's converts. Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. If you go back to Genesis 10, there's a thing called the list of nations. And the list of nations gives all the nations and all the people of the world as they knew it. That comes just before the Tower of Babel where God scattered them all. Here's a new list of nations in the Old Testament where God has gathered them all together. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament are working hand in hand to complete the passage and the story of what's going on. There's a connection that Luke answers without us even asking the question. Verse verse 12, it says, All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? It's a fair question. And Acts gives us a lot of questions. My favorite question to ask when I study the Bible and prepare for messages: why? Why is that there? Why is that list? Why is that city? Why is that person named? Because God already has an answer in the Bible, and I get to go find it. Why? Why is all that happening? What does it mean? They're asking the same question. What does this mean? It's fair enough. Today, in the church and in the world, When we hear something from the Bible, we hear something from the good news of God's Word. People basically have two responses. Either we receive it and we welcome it and we believe it, or we find a reason to disagree because it contradicts what we want and and the things that we create and the laws that we pass and the culture that we build, and, and we say, nope, I don't believe it. It doesn't work for me anymore. The other thing that we've done in the church today, and this is the really terrifying part, is we've decided we're smarter than the Bible is and we know what's really there. That isn't really what God meant. God really meant this. Here's the deal. The Bible is the Bible is the Bible. God is God, yesterday, today, and forever. God isn't going to change and God's Word isn't going to change. But the question you've got to ask is, what does this mean? What does it mean to you? They're all amazed and perplexed and they ask, what does it mean? Here's one of the things that it means. Right now, at this point in your life, today, There has never been a time in your life, and I don't care how old you are, there has never been a time in your life that it has been more important to know and to come to terms with what God's Word actually says. So whether you're here as a visitor, whether you're this, this is your church home, uh, maybe you're passing through town, maybe you're just catching us online. If this isn't your church home, find a church that teaches you the truth of God's Word, not what you want to hear, that teaches you the truth. Because an awful lot of the truth of God's word goes against what we want to be true. But if we're going to be the people that God created us to be, we've got to come to terms and accept God's word as it's presented to us, not what we change it into. There's never been a time in your life where it is more important that you know what that book says. You need to know where you stand with Jesus. You need to know who it is that you believe God is and what it is God is capable of. 
And you need to come to terms and have an understanding with who the Holy Spirit is and what it is that he's here to do in your life. Why? I'll tell you why. Because biblical Christianity is being challenged. It's being confronted. Groups are trying to change it. And cancel culture is trying to wipe it out. And the problem is, is that we've got non-believers, non-Christians who are trying to use God's word to tell you what God's word means. And it's polar opposite of what's really there. And you need to know what is in God's word. Because what people that want to cancel it, what they want to do is they want to legalize our sin. They want to endorse and support and and make sure the only thing that we hear is what the media wants us to hear. And if we believe what other people are telling you and you don't even know who they are, they don't have any accountability in your world, how do you know it's true? You've got a responsibility to know God's word for yourself. Find a church that teaches God's Word. You need to know the Bible, you need to know Jesus, and you need to know God's Word as the Bible shows it. There's just too many people that want to change and pervert what's really there. So what does this mean? It means for us that it's important that we understand who God is and how God works. It's important because verse 13 says this, While some of them were amazed and perplexed, Verse 13, others mocked and said they're filled with new wine. Hasn't changed. The the evil in human nature wants to dismiss the supernatural presence of God among us. And we dismiss it because we can't understand it. I have served in churches where this has been true, where the Holy Spirit was not welcome, was not allowed, will drown him out no matter what. That's not the kind of church you want to go to. (laughs) When they said they're filled with new wine, that was their way of dismissing and discrediting those people and dismissing and discrediting what they didn't understand. You need to understand it happens at a church level and it happens at a personal level. Maybe you dare one day to share your faith with somebody and you tell them a little bit about what God's done in your life and and you really see that as as God's done something awesome and you just want to celebrate it because you want them to know Jesus the way you do and they make fun of you. And when you back down because you don't have an answer to their question or, or if you don't have a, a response that they're happy with, they get you to shut down and be quiet. And, and it's the same thing today as saying, well, they're just filled with new wine. What it amounts to is simply this. At the open door, we're going to celebrate and encourage and pray for other people, for other churches, for other ministries, for other groups that are growing the church on earth, in the power of the Holy Spirit, through the truth of God's Word. Because we're not competing against any of them. We're not competing against another church. We're not competing against other people. We're not competing against other ministries. Hey, there's churches that do things way better than we do, and that's awesome. There's pastors that are way better preachers than I'll ever be, and that's awesome. We're just trying to be who God's called us to be. And in doing that, we're going to celebrate the Holy Spirit at work all over the place, whether it's here or somewhere else. See, the the thing that we're in competition with is the enemy of God, who's out after the hearts and the minds and the souls of everybody out there. And somehow he's convinced so many people in the church that we're competing with each other that we've lost the battle before we've ever engaged it. And it's the Holy Spirit is the one who feeds us and fuels us and who carries us forward with the good news of Jesus. See, God sent his Holy Spirit that we would have the power to be used mightily by God for his purposes. Unfortunately, a lot of us don't really want to do that. We don't want to let go of that control. We want the blessing, but we don't want the obedience. And there's too many people who try to use the power of the Holy Spirit 
for their own purposes. We'll read about a guy who did that coming up in a couple of weeks. So which one are you? Which one do you want to be? Do you want to be someone who allows yourself to be used by God for his purposes? Or are you one of those people who just wants to use God? And be careful with that because using God is doing this. Claiming the title of Christian and accepting forgiveness because it doesn't cost anything and then living life on your own terms. Claiming the title Christian and accepting forgiveness and only talking to God when you've got a 911 prayer because you ran out of all your other options. Are you there to be used by God through His Holy Spirit? Are you there to use God? Are you one of those people that would have gotten caught up in the celebration of this day? Or are you one of those skeptics that took the joy and the celebration and the good news of Jesus being proclaimed in all of these languages, and rather than saying, that must be the Spirit of God at work, I don't understand Him, but that must be the Spirit of God, and rather say, no, that's the Spirit of alcohol. Because that's what they did. They said that all that is is new wine. That's the strong stuff. They haven't watered it down yet. It's the spirit of alcohol that's speaking. It isn't the spirit of God. And they dismissed everything. It's believers and non-believers, skeptics, and those who accept even the things that they don't understand. So in your life, do you experience the joy of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your day-to-day life, or, or do you experience chaos, confusion, fear, because the Holy Spirit came to bring, take chaos and to bring order. Throughout, his, throughout history, the Holy Spirit has brought order out of chaos from creation all the way to healing, uh, being part of healing people from all kinds of stuff. And so when they talk about they're just filled with new wine, it's the spirit of alcohol, the Holy Spirit would come to heal us from anything that separates us from God. And so where do you stand? Where are you? What do you believe? that The Holy Spirit is here, and along with Him is the joy that He brings. And it's all around you. He is alive in this place. He's alive in the people. It's why you hear me pray every Sunday for ten and a half years. God, we invite the presence of Your Holy Spirit among us. Do what You will do, God. We're not going to be able to stop God anyway. God may pass by us, but we're not going to be able to stop what God's about. So we want to invite and welcome Him. But see, the Holy Spirit is always a gentleman. The Holy Spirit will never push His way into your life and make you do something you don't want to do. The Holy Spirit is always polite and always patient. And the Holy Spirit isn't going to come into your life or into your world until you invite Him to. Jesus told the disciples to go to Jerusalem and to wait. And they did, knowing that they were waiting for something that God was going to send. People are still waiting for the presence of the Holy Spirit today. All you need to do is to invite Him in. It's as simple as that. So the question is, the question is, where do you stand? Are you skeptic or believer? Are you doubter or acceptor? Will you invite him into your life? Because it isn't a question of whether the Holy Spirit is here. It isn't a question of whether the Holy Spirit is in this place or not, because he is. The question is, is the Holy Spirit in you? Is he a part of your life? He is here for you. Will you invite him to be a part of who you are, will you invite him in? And it isn't a special baptism you have to have. There isn't a special ceremony or service. It's an infilling. It's an indwelling. It's a filling to the fullness. It's an immersed in his presence kind of thing. And so where do you stand with it? Where do you stand with God's word? Where do you stand with the supernatural power of God at work in the world around you? 
Do you believe even though you don't understand and can't explain? Or are you going to be one of those skeptics that say, you know what, those Christians, they're just drunk. That's all they are. Don't pay attention to them. I'm going to pray now. And if you would like the Holy Spirit to fill you, if you would like to know the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that maybe you've been afraid because you've only understand him, understood Him as the Holy Ghost, maybe today's your day. And you don't have to do anything special. You don't have to stand up. You don't have to say anything. You, you just have to say, yes, God, please. It's as simple as that, so let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for this passage in the book of Acts, the day that you sent your Holy Spirit, not just for individual people, for individual times and individual places and, and tasks and purposes, but for all people at all times. God, thank you that your Holy Spirit continues to live and to work and to move about the world that you have placed us in. Thank you, God that we are open and welcome to the power of your Holy Spirit among us in this church. We know, God, that it is through your Holy Spirit that we come to faith, that we grow in faith, and that we share our faith. That's why he's here, is that we're able to do all of those things. Without him, we could not do any of them. And so, God, help us, first of all, to get it straight and to realize we're not in competition with anyone. We want your church to grow. We want people to come to know you through your church. We consider it a privilege to be able to have this voice that we have as a church here to be able to reach people. But God, it isn't that we think we're the only ones. We know we are just one of the churches that your Holy Spirit is a part of and using. God, we're blessed with an area that has got so many good churches. And we just want to be one of them. We want to be one of them that takes your word seriously, even if we don't like what it says. Who understands who you are and who Jesus is and what he did for us and how it is that we might be filled with your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I just pray right now to anyone and everyone here, maybe it's someone who walked away and maybe life just got busy and they kind of forgot the Holy Spirit was even there. Maybe it's people who have never been to open to him in their life before. God, we ask right now here in this place, God, that you would bless us with a filling of your Holy Spirit to everyone who is open, everyone who says, yes, God, please. That there would be that immersing surrounding, overflowing presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. God, not because we're worthy, not because we deserve it, but because that's who you are. So God, we thank you. We thank you for your Holy Spirit, for his work among us. We thank you for Jesus, what he did for us that we cannot do for ourselves. God, we thank you that, that we have a place that's committed to reaching the world around us, the people of the world around us, with the good news of Jesus, not the things that divide us, but the things that unite us in you. God, that's what we want to be about. That's what we want to preach and proclaim. And it's your Holy Spirit that allows us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.